Well, if you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Psalm chapter 25. Psalm chapter 25 is where we're going to be this morning. And the title of the message this morning is, A Prayer of Transparency to God. A Prayer of Transparency to God. Well, transparency, what even is that? You know, if I were talking about glass, I'd be referring to the clarity of it and one's ability to look through it. If you could see through it pretty well, you'd say that was transparent glass. Uh, However, when referring to one's life, I'd be thinking of one's true nature or character as a person, so to speak. So if someone says, I've been very transparent, or what they're really saying is, I've been up front with you, I've not hidden anything, I've not held anything back, Uh, you can see the real me, so to say. Well, uh There's nothing hidden, nothing undisclosed. We'd say that person was very transparent. Um, You see, in Psalm chapter 25, we see something that most people are hesitant to show. And that is transparency. Uh, As you read through Psalm 25, we see the psalmist, in this case David, being very transparent regarding several things. And here he makes himself vulnerable regarding some very personal things in his life. You say, well, what's the importance of transparency? What's the lesson to be learned here? Well, transparency is often important in one's step of growth. You say, really, is that really important that I be transparent? Well, I've found out through over the, throughout the years that there are many circumstances that help a person to grow, and transparency is a very important aspect of one's ability to grow. Let me give you an example. If someone is involved in a terrible habit. Uh, maybe it's a sinful habit. Maybe it's something that really is uh, harming them. For example, it might be alcohol. Maybe they were addicted to it. Maybe they've got a, a situation where they just cannot stop drinking it. Uh, but maybe they don't think it's a problem. Or maybe somebody's involved in drugs and they just really don't see it as a problem. But everyone else sees it. Uh, maybe it's a, a circumstance with their <clears throat> you know, health and they're not really real... You know, willing to admit that it's a bigger issue than it really is, until someone becomes transparent about those things that are struggles in their lives, they'll never overcome them. You see, if a person is an alcoholic and it's affecting every aspect of their life, until they're willing to deal with it and become transparent about it and realize, hey, it's a real issue and I'm not going to try to hide it anymore, I'm not trying to disclose it, I'm just going to lay it out there and get the help that I need for it, then they can begin to grow through it. And that's true of almost any addiction. You have to be transparent about it before you can grow through it, right? So in our own lives, in our walk with God, it requires for us to be transparent so that we can grow through the circumstances and struggles of life. Uh, You know, transparency in essence says, I'm not hiding anything. I'm not withholding anything. Uh, I'm laying everything on the table for God to see. And here's the, here's the interesting thing about that. We can't hide anything from God anyway, can we? All things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do according to God's Word. There's nothing that I can do to hide it. There's no place that I can go to hide it. But if I want to get help through it, if I want to grow through it, I have to be transparent about what God already knows. And I need to acknowledge that so that I can become stronger in those areas. You know, everything was on the table, as David was saying here. Through this prayer of transparency, David draws close to God, and God works mightily on his behalf. So here's the question to consider as we get into the text of Psalm 25 this morning. Are you willing to be transparent before God? 
In other words, I'm willing to stop hiding what God already knows to be true. Am I willing to lay it all out there so that I can deal with it and God can deal with me concerning those things? Am I willing to... You say, Pastor, are you saying I should just become transparent for everybody in the church to see? No, I'm not saying that. See, this is David's prayer to God. And David says, I'm willing to lay it all out there so that nothing is hidden and so God, you work in and through me. And that's where it starts, everyone. That's where it starts. For God to work in us to make us who He wants us to be, we have to be transparent. So as we go through this psalm, keep in mind, this is not a psalm that can be easily outlined. In other words, you're not going to read through Psalm 25, verse 1 and 2, and here's point 1, and then here's A, and then here's 1, 2, and then B, 1, 2, C, 1, 2. Then there's you know, point 2, A, 1. This is not one of those psalms. Rather, this is a psalm of themes. And as such, there are about at least seven main, main themes in Psalm 25 that we're going to address this morning. Now here's where I may just throw you a little, throw a few of you off just a little bit. We're gonna pray through each and every one of these themes. You see, Pastor, you just said there's seven themes. Yup! And we're gonna pray through every one of them as a body of believers. Personally, and then corporately. I want us to think through this a little bit different this morning. I want us to just to take a moment and for us to get transparent before God in our own hearts before Him. And so we're going to do that thing a little bit different this morning. But I promise you, it'll be okay. You're going to draw closer to God, and as a result of it, we'll walk more in fellowship and, and in obedience to Him. But as we get started, I want you to look at verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to get into the themes. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 1 and 2, it says, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Oh my God, I trust in you. Let me just stop right there for a minute. He addresses everything in his life before God. You say, is that really important? Yes, it is. You see, my person, the person sitting next to you, though you may love them and be encouraged by them and they may lift you up and, 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 you know, make you a better person, but they're not God. They cannot do for you what God can do for you. Your best friend cannot do for you what God can do for you. Facebook world cannot do for you what God can do for you, right? So he says, I am directing this to God. He says, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And let me just tell you, if you want to grow in your walk with God, it has to start with a relationship with Him and say, God, to you, O Lord, I'm going to direct my prayer. And then he goes on to say, why? He says, oh my God, I trust you. The psalmist here is recognizing that he trusts God to take care of everything that he is about to bring to his attention. God already knows about it, but he's acknowledging it. And he says, God, I trust you to do what you think is best through these circumstances. So what are the themes? Well, the first theme I want you to notice is this. That there is help amidst trouble. And if you would, look at verses 16 through 18 with me there in Psalm chapter 25. In verse 16 it says, Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. So he's acknowledging that there are some issues here. In verse 20 says, Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. You know, there's a couple of things about this first theme of help amidst trouble. He knows in all these verses, he doesn't really give us the distinct details of, of the trouble that he's in. He tells us one of them, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But generally speaking, he doesn't tell us what all the trouble is. But I want to ask you this question. 
Do you know what trouble is? How many think trouble is a good thing? Not many of us. But here's what trouble does. It acknowledges that there are some things that are not right. And by that definition, how many of us go through things that are not right, and we would try to kind of coin the term, there's trouble, right? I don't know what the trouble is that you're facing. I think we all face trouble, though. But he says here, right in the beginning, turn yourself to me and have mercy on me. We go to God, first of all, because He's the one that's able to deal with all these things, right? But He says, have mercy on me in these times of trouble. And then He says, you only need mercy if there's realization, if you realize that you are in trouble. If someone's an alcoholic, or they're steeped in drugs, or or pornography, or, or whatever it is that they're addicted to, they need to realize that God is going to have mercy on them when we confess our sins to them. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. But the reality is that we turn to God because God is the one who's able to help us. So he acknowledges that there's something going on that I think you and I can understand at times. There's two things that he says here in these verses. Verse 16, first of all. He says this. Turn yourself to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and afflicted. Now, just by definition, if you're kind of think of a dictionary definition of what it means to be desolate, it means to be dry. Now, when we think of that in terms of how we are living, there are times that we go through what we would say are dry spells. This is kind of the circumstance that that David is referring to here. He says there's dryness and there's desolate and there's affliction. I don't know what has caused this. I don't know what it means fully to be afflicted, but in my mind, once again, a dictionary definition means that there is times of torment. He's torn. He's afflicted. He's in pain. And it's the help amidst this trouble that he is seeking. Look at verse 17 again. The troubles of my heart have enlarged. When we think of somebody being distressed in their heart or troubled in their heart, it really is referring to their emotions, the seat of their emotions. When someone says that they have a heavy heart concerning something that has taken place in their midst, someone has passed away, they've gone through an illness, and they say that they are heavy of heart, that's basically what he's saying here. He says, my troubles of my heart have enlarged. In other words, there's more. There's many of them. He's acknowledging before God that there are circumstances in his life that has caused this trouble that he's in. And he says, bring me out of my distresses. Now, if you're out in the middle of an ocean or a large body of water and the ship starts to go down, oftentimes the captain will send out a distress call. That's what this means. I'm beginning to sink. I'm in trouble. The troubles of my heart are enlarged and I'm in distress. And he's sending out a call. There is help amidst trouble. Why? Remember back to verse 1. He says to you, O Lord, I trust you. You see, when we're in trouble, we have to go to someone that we can trust. And the most trustworthy person in our lives as a believer is who? The Lord. He's the one that is able to help us. He's the one that is willing to be with us. He goes on to say, verse 18, look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. He says, look at me, God. You know me. 
You know what I'm going through. You know what the struggles are that I have. Verse 19, we know that part of the problems that he has, part of the struggles that he has, part of the troubles that he's going through is verse 19. He says, consider my enemies, for there are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there because we're going to come back to that later. But he says, you know the enemies that I have. And verse 20, he says, deliver me. I don't know about you, but what affliction are you going through? Is there anything in your life that has caused your life to be desolate and afflicted? Is there anything that has caused the heaviness of your heart to increase? These are the things that he acknowledges before the Lord. And he says, Lord, I trust you to deal with these things. And so as I said, as we talk about these major themes as we go through Psalm 25, let's just take a moment and pray. So that's what we're going to do right now. You know what your afflictions are. You know what is causing you to be desolate. You know what causes your heart to be heavy. Take a moment and give it to the Lord. So that's what we're going to do. Take 10 seconds and pray and then I'll close. Let's pray. Lord, as we come before You, There are many of us, Lord, just like the psalmist here, who if we're honest with ourselves, dear Father, feel desolate, afflicted by circumstances, by situations, by things, Lord, that are distracting us in our walk with You. And I pray, Lord, that as we acknowledge them before You, Lord, that You would take care of them. As as Psalmist said in verse 20, and deliver them, deliver me from them. Lord, I don't know what everyone else is going through. I don't know what is causing heaviness on their hearts, Lord. Sometimes we can't see, but Lord, we know that You're acutely aware of every one of them. And so, Lord, we just come before You. Lord, I know in times of my life, it's been my health. It's been the diabetes, Lord. It's been the circumstances that just irritate and frustrate me, Lord. It's an enemy at times. And Lord, I give it to You. I give my health to You. I give my days to You, Lord. I give my life to You. I give my family to You. I give my children to You, Lord. Lord, I pray that there would not be times of heaviness any further, Lord, but that You would just work in our lives and draw us closer to You, Lord. And that You would work. And we trust You, Lord, as He says in verse 1. We trust You, Lord. And we'll praise You for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a second theme here that He deals with. As we come into verses 2, 15, and 19. Look at verse 2 with me. He says, Oh my God, I trust You. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. In verse 15 he says, My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. And then again in verse 19 he says, Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. There's a second theme here, and it's this. Dealing with the enemy. You say, well, I don't know if I really have an enemy. Well, if you're living for Christ and you're in this world called earth, you probably have some enemies. You know, as believers, it says that the devil is our enemy. He doesn't want to see us go forth in victory. He'll do everything he can to distract and to frustrate and to complicate things so that we fall in, in, uh, in defeat. 
But here he's dealing with the enemies and he says, verse 2, let not my enemies triumph over me. He is giving that to God. So let me just ask you this question. What is an enemy? An enemy is anybody that is against you, oftentimes. They're, they're hatefully against you and what you stand for and what you believe and they want to take you down. He says, God, I give you to them. Because remember, he tells us in the Gospels, what? To love our enemies. So, you know, they're not, we're not on the same page. We're not going the same direction. But God, I give them to you. And he says, why? Verse 1, I trust you to deal with this. The psalmist here is becoming transparent before God about what God already knows to be true. And then he says in verse 15, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Now, when I was a kid growing up, almost every one of our family vacations really was doing the same thing every year. And it was going to grandma and grandpa's house. That was our annual vacation every year. And we loved it. In fact, one of the, the most exciting things about going to grandma and grandpa's house, when we lived in Minnesota, going over to Michigan to visit grandma and grandpa, it was all the little tiny mom and pop motels along Lake Michigan. Most of them have closed up today. Most of them aren't even there anymore. But we had so much fun going along Lake Michigan, staying at all these little mom-and-pop hotels. But the reason we really liked it was because, especially like in areas of like near Manistique, Michigan, and other places, there was these little souvenir shops. And inside these souvenir shops were all the things that we begged our mom and dad for that they really bought us but never made it home because they broke before we got there. <laughs> but we had fun buying them. But one of the things I remember very specifically about the souvenir shops along Lake Michigan were the fishing nets that were on the walls and on the ceiling. And they would put little seashells on them that weren't from Lake Michigan, but, you know, they look cool. And uh, so they'd decorate these nets. And But really, you can imagine, if they were on the floor and you were trying to walk through them, your feet would get tangled in these fishing nets. And here's what I know from this verse, in verse 15. He says, Oops, I'm turning the wrong page here. Verse 15, My eyes are over toward the Lord, for He shall pluck my feet out of the net. For some reason, God's Word doesn't tell us why, doesn't tell us how, we know that He is stuck in the net. Now, let me just draw an application of this for a moment. The enemy doesn't want you to go forward. The enemy doesn't want you to have victory. And there are times that those circumstances cause you to get stuck. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been through times like that. I mentioned in the first prayer, my, my diabetes. That drives me nuts some days. I'm just tired of it. 28 years of poking and pricking and prodding and can't eat that and don't eat that and you're eating too much of this and your sugar's too high. I just It drives a person insane. I wish it wasn't part of life, but it is. And there have been times where I've allowed myself to get stuck in that net and realizing that I just can't go forward. And it's at those moments that God says, I'll get you out of that. I'll help you through that. But here's once again, it's a prayer of transparency, realizing that you can't get yourself out of that net. And that's why He says, for He shall pluck me out of the net. What is the circumstance in your life? What's the enemy in your life that's got you holding still? That you can't get out of? That you can't seem to step out of in your own strength? Give it to God. And then he goes on in verse uh, 20. or I'm sorry, verse 19. He says this. Consider my enemies, for they are many 
and they hate me with cruel hatred. How many of you enjoy that? That doesn't sound like fun. That doesn't sound like something you know I want to get, go and sign up for. He says, God, you know my enemies. I just have to imagine for a moment, David was used mightily of God in various circumstances, right? In so many circumstances, David went out on behalf of the Lord and, and fought battles. I can imagine that David had a few enemies. I can imagine that David probably had to watch his back in some times, in some places. And he says, Lord, this is getting tiring. This is getting old. God, consider my enemies. I mean, I already know you know about them, but God, would you take care of them? Because there are many, and they hate me with a cruel hatred. And then here's what he says in verse 20. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. He's trusting God. What is it in your life that is almost like an enemy that's holding you down, that's trapping you? You have to realize you're not going to fight the battle on your own. You're not going to have victory apart from God. You need to give it to Him. So let's do that just for a moment. Let's pray. Lord, you said in First Peter that the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Lord, we know that the enemy wants to devour us as your children. Lord, your word tells us in the Gospels that the devil comes forward to do nothing but to steal and to kill and to destroy. And yet, Lord, we know that you're in control. You are greater. You are stronger. And Lord, oftentimes the very enemy is right before us. Oftentimes what holds us back, our own sinfulness, circumstances, Lord, that we've allowed ourselves to get trapped into. And Lord, I pray that even as a psalmist said, Lord, you'll pluck me out of the net. Lord, might you lift us out of whatever it is that is destroying us. Lord, we realize we cannot do it in and of ourselves. We cannot, Lord, we need your help. And Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room, Lord, might acknowledge with transparency before you, Lord, those things that are trapping us. And that we might call on you for victory, Lord. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's a third thing. And I think it's this third thing that often destroys a lot of people, and it's shame. Shame. Look at verse 3. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, Indeed, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let those be ashamed who deal treacherously without cause. In verse 20, he says this, Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. So he says two things. Let no one who waits on you be ashamed. Let me not be ashamed. See, shame has the idea of being let down or letting someone down. There was something that was, if we could say it this way, an expectation or, or something that was to be done that didn't get done. There was a let down of some sort. He says, God, let no one that waits on you be ashamed. Why? Because God's timing is perfect in everything. We may not always acknowledge that, but God's timing is perfect. He says, let no one who waits on you be ashamed. There's no reason to be let down. But he says, but Lord, also don't let me shame you. What is it that we sometimes let God down in? 
In fact, in 1 John, he says, may we walk in obedience and righteousness so that we may not be ashamed at His appearance, at His coming. So there is obviously an indication that there are things that will cause shame. And those things are caused, the shame is caused by expectations that were not fulfilled. In our lives as children of God, there are expectations. What's the expectation? That we would walk in obedience with Him. That we would reflect His glory, not our own. That we would truly live to put Him first, not ourselves. And He says, if you'll do what's right, He goes, you'll be no shame at my appearing, at my coming. So He's very clear here. It carries the idea of being let down or letting one down. So, let's be honest just for a moment. Every one of us in this room this morning. Have you let God down? Have you let others down? Because God hasn't let you down. Because God's timing is perfect. There are some things that happen that we don't always understand. But none of us has the right to blame God because He didn't do something that we expected him to do his it's perfect he's sovereign you know i thought about this you know i really that whole for a whole week before i got that letter of rejection from my insurance company for a whole week is i was, was in my mind as that song victory um I'm, what's it, oh, what's that song victory uh we sang it two weeks ago whatever it is that phrase just kept going through my mind i'm going to see a victory i'm going to see a victory i'm going to see a victory and then i got the letter and it didn't happen i'm like I told Paul, I said, I know it's going to happen. I said, God's got this. I'm not worried about it. They've, I mean, we've been talking back and forth. And the whole week, I'm just singing this. God, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory in my mind. It didn't happen. And what God reminded me was of, of is this. He's sovereign. He can do whatever He wants. Do you believe that? That God doesn't have to get your permission for anything. I know there's times that I've let him down. And when we let him down, there should be shame. Because we know better. We know what's expected and we just don't care sometimes. But I can stand before you and promise God has never let me down. He's faithful. Are we willing to acknowledge that before a holy God? He says, Lord, let none that wait on you be shamed. And then verse 20, over and over. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed. For I put my trust in You. Everything comes back to that verse 1. To You, Lord, I put my trust in You. And when we do that, there's no reason for shame. So, idea of being let down or letting one down, these areas of shame, I think we need to give that to God. Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for the example of the psalmist here. We thank You for the reminder that He teaches us, Lord. That You're in control. And the expectations, Lord, are... We have so many, but Lord, really it's a simple case with You. Walk in obedience. Do what You ask of us. And when we do, Lord, there is no shame. But Lord, we cause shame at times. We let you down. We let others down. Forgive us, Father.
We know that you're in control of all things. You're a sovereign God, a holy God, a righteous God. And I pray, God, that we would learn to submit everything to you and trust you all the more. Lord, that's the basis of this entire psalm, verse 1, because we trust you. We're coming to you because we trust you, God. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a fourth theme here in this psalm, Psalm 25. And the fourth theme is found starting in verses 4 and 5. Verse 4 says this, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. He goes on in verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore He teaches sinners in the way. In verse 9, he says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. Verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Verse 12, Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Here's the fourth theme that I want you to see in the Psalm 25 here is God's way or God's path. God's Word reminds us in Psalm 16, it says there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You see, there are always two paths. We can go the way that we want to go or the way that God wants us to go. And God's Word, according to Psalm 16, says if I go my own way, the way that I think is right, apart from God, that's going to lead to destruction. So we do have a choice. And he says there is a right way. There is God's way. There is God's path. And he says right away in the beginning, he says, show me your ways, O Lord. And when I say, or when God's word says, show me your way, he's really referring to truth. God, teach me your truth. Teach me your way. And that's his heart's desire. He says, I want to know your way. I want to know your truth. And here's the thing. He says he teaches sinners in the way. You know, there's always a right way and a wrong way. There's always truth and there's always lack of truth. And if you've ever worked in a factory or in a workplace that requires you to learn something, you're always going to find that there are those who are willing to learn and those who are not willing to learn. There are so many circumstances in life where there is a way to do something and a way not to do something. This way works, this way doesn't work. But the reality is so many people in circumstances say, well, I want to do it my way. I think my way is better. I don't want to do it your way. Well, your way takes longer. Yeah, but my way is faster. And we can argue that point all day long. But see, he says he teaches sinners in the way. Why? Because sinners need to know how to live life right. And the only way to live it right is, we see in the next verse. Uh, In verse 8, he says, The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. In order for us to learn the correct way, if we're in a job situation or a factory situation and there are supervisors and guides and you know bosses over us, is that we have to humble ourselves. I know I want to do it this way, but he's telling me to do it this way. And what does that take? I have to humble myself. He says the humble he teaches. You see, if you're not humble, that means you're not teachable. If you're not willing to humble yourself, you're not going to learn to do it right. We've seen it a hundred times in a job setting, in a factory setting, where someone says, I want you to do it this way, but I want to do it this way. What's it take? I I need humility. Okay, I think my way is better, but I'm willing to submit to yours. 
Why? It doesn't matter if I agree with it. If somebody's in authority over me, it only matters that I'm going to do what he says. But here's the beauty of it. When I submit my way to your way because you're the boss, if it doesn't work right, guess who it's on? The person. But my pride gets in the way. My selfishness gets in the way. He says he teaches the humble. He says he teaches sinners the way. And when I'm willing to humble myself before God, he'll teach me. He says the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. Once again, requires humility and surrender because I want to do what I want to do. And the psalmist here is teaching us that there is a way. God's way is best. So put yourself in the sandals of the psalmist here. There's a way of doing things that you think is right. And there's a way of doing things that God says is right. Are you willing to submit your way to His way? Are you willing to get on His path and off your path? Are you willing to learn His truth and forsake what you think is truth? That's what the psalmist is bringing out here. So he says, show me your ways, O Lord, your truth. So let's do that this morning. In what ways have you, if you're honest with yourself and God knows your heart, in what areas are you choosing to stay on your own path? In what areas are you saying, God, I'll stick to what I think is best? Are you willing to submit that to the Lord? Let's take a moment and pray. Let's do that. Father, once again as we're reminded through this psalm that there are paths, many paths, many ways that people can get on. But Lord, there's one that you'll honor, that you'll bless, and that you'll Lord, guide us onto, and that's yours. And I pray, Lord, that every one of us in this room this morning, Lord, might be willing to surrender to Your way, Lord. To please You. To honor You. And Lord, I know that requires humility according to Your Word. Are we willing to humble ourselves before You, Lord? And I ask, God, that You would help us to do that. Because, Lord, in our flesh, Lord, we are so strong, selfish, self-pleasing, So, Lord, help us. Help me, Lord, to humble myself before you, Lord. That I might see your hand at work and we'll praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we continue in the psalm, verse 7 and verse 18, we see a fifth theme here. In Psalm chapter 25, verse 7, it says, Do you not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions? According to your mercy, remember me for your goodness' sake, Lord. And then again in verse 18, he says, Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. I don't know about you, but I don't want to tell anybody my sinfulness. Nobody wants to share with someone else, Oh, this is the area that I'm struggling in. How about you? That's not normal, is it? Nobody wants to admit that we're in some areas that aren't good. But the psalmist says, once again, to you, Lord. He's willing to go right before the Lord 
And he says, do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. What's he saying? He says, Lord, I'm submitting them to you. And here's the beautiful thing. God's Word tells us, as it reminded us a couple weeks ago, as far as the east is from the west, so far as He removed our sins from us. He says they're in the deepest parts of the ocean. They're, they're, they're not to remember, be remembered anymore. But here's the prerequisite, 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we repent and confess of our sins, God forgives them. Isn't that awesome? He says, do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. We know what it means to transgress. We've slipped back into sin. But knowing this in verse 8, says he teaches sinners the way. But then again in verse 18, here's what he's willing to acknowledge in his transparency before the Lord. Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all. All my sins. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, forgive all my sins. All of them. It's easy to forgive, ask God to forgive us of the sins that, well, the obvious ones. But what about the ones that no one else knows about, but God still knows? Are we willing to submit every sin before God? Every sin. I think a lot of us are willing to give credence to the fact that we're not perfect. There's things that we struggle with. There's areas of sinfulness that, you know, I should do better in. But until we are willing to get transparent about all of them, all of them, he says, God, forgive all of my sins. He held nothing back. He left nothing on the table. He says, God, forgive all of them. And I would ask you, have you given every sin to God? Every sin. Not just the ones that you say, hey, I can get rid of that. That's no problem. But the hard sins. The sins you enjoy. The sins that are fun. Because if you're honest with yourself, there are some fun things. And God says, no, don't do that. That will destroy you. But God, I like this one. Are you willing to say, God, forgive all my sins? You see, God's Word says very clearly, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs tells us that he that covereth the sin will not prosper. It's important that we deal with all sin and become transparent about it. Because once again, you can't hide it from God anyway. You can't get away from God's eye. Hebrews 4 talks about that. Psalm 139 talks about that. You cannot escape the eye of God. You may be able to hide it from your spouse, from your kids, from your coworkers, from your bosses, from your relatives, from your friends, but you cannot hide it from God. So you might as well just deal with it because He knows about it anyway. And so in this fifth theme, He says, I'm dealing with my sinfulness. Why? He gives us the answer in verse 11. It says, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. A friend of, my, a friend of mine years ago, Kevin Brownfield, used to always say, kind of a joking spoof off this, but he says, you either have a testimony or you're a testifony. If we have a testimony, what's that mean? 
we have a story that is a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. If Jesus Christ has done something in your life, you have a testimony, and we want to reflect God in that testimony. Or you're a testimony, and you really don't have one. He says, for your name's sake. That's the reason. For His name's sake. Because we're a picture of Jesus Christ. That's what Christian means. We're a follower of Christ. We're an image of Christ. We're a reflection of Christ in our life. For your name's sake, God, because I am part of your family, because I am yours, forgive every one of my sins, for they're great. What sin are you holding back from God? Are you willing to say, God, forgive all my sins? And just remember this, that Jesus Christ's blood is sufficient for every one of your sins to cover them. There's no sin so great that God can't forgive if you're willing to acknowledge it before Him. So let's do that. Let's take ten seconds and pray. Oh God, forgive us. We're so proud sometimes. We're so self-sufficient sometimes. I am, Lord. There are times, Lord, that I don't trust you. Lord, I know there are times that I just want to do things my own way. God, forgive me. Forgive us as a body of believers, Lord. Forgive us as a church, Lord, as harvests, or sometimes, Lord, not doing what you've asked us to do in representing your name in the community that we live in. For not sharing our faith. For not telling others about your glory, God. Forgive us. Lord, we repent of that. We ask, God, that you would forgive us our sins and draw us close to you, Lord. And we'll thank you for what only you can do through your shed blood on the cross. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a sixth theme in Psalm 25, and we find it in verses 6 through 8. In verse 6 he says, Remember, O Lord, your tender mercies, your tender mercies and your loving kindness, for they are from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to your mercy, remember me. For your goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He teaches sinners in the way. Several attributes in this sixth theme. God's attributes. God's character. First of all, He mentions His tender mercies. Do you realize that we have a God who just gives us His tender mercies every day? He's acknowledging who God is in His tender mercies and His loving kindness. You see, if every one of us got what we deserved, we'd be spending eternity in hell in a lake of fire. Our sin has separated us from God. Yet in His mercy and His loving kindness, He sent His Son to die on a cross that we might live. For God so loved the world that He what? gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's tender mercy. That's God's loving kindness towards every one of us. If we got what we deserved, we'd be spending eternity in hell. But He has been tender to us. Merciful to us. Loving kindness He's given to us every day. And then He says, according to your mercy. And then He tells us in verse 8, Good and upright is the Lord. 
what attribute of God do you need to praise Him for? I think I say it often. I say it all the time. I think of Paul when he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And I say, I argue that. I think we're all the chiefest sinners. And if you're honest with yourself, you're the chiefest sinners. Because every one of us have sin in our lives that breaks the heart of God. Are we thankful for God's daily mercy for that? God's forgiveness for that? I mean, every day God is willing to forgive us. And He says, how many times should we forgive others? Seventy times seven is just a principle that God says, I'll forgive over and over and over again. And you need to forgive. God's forgiveness is just unbelievably, unfathomably awesome. And He gives it to you every day. His grace. How about His protection? Every day you leave your house. Every day you get in a car. Every day you go on the roads. And every day you go from point A to point B and back to point A again. And every day God displays His grace to you and that He is protecting you nonstop. Nobody got in an accident today on the way here. That's God's grace. That's God's protection to you. How about His provision? Most of you, I think, if not all of you, you slept in a warm bed last night, right? You had covers over you. You had a fan on you or air conditioning in your house for when you're hot and you know heaters when you're cold. And over and over, God provides for you. You had food to eat this morning. You probably had up and got coffee and cream and donuts and everything else. And you're going to go home and to a nice meal and God has provided for you. When's the last time you said, God, really, not just a Thanksgiving prayer, not just, or not just a 10 second prayer before you, God, bless the food, but I mean, I'm really not just, just taking the time to say, God, thank you for all these things that you've done for me. He continuously, constantly provides. about healing? God just heals us. You cut yourself and He just heals you. You have sight. You can need ears to hear. Those are all gifts from God. How often do we just take, as, as the psalmist did here in verses 6-8, through eight, and say, God, Your character, Your attributes are just incredibly awesome. And He thanks them for them. Maybe this morning we just just take a minute and say, God, thank you. You're so awesome. And just list all the things that He does for you. Non-stop. Let's do that this morning. Let's take a moment and pray and then I'll close. God, we worship You. And we praise Your name. Because it's only at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God, we thank You because You've given us of Your Son. That You shed Your blood on the cross of Calvary. That, dear Father, You offered us forgiveness of sins that no one else could. That, God, that You... Give us life and hope eternal in, in, in heaven one day. Thank You. Lord, for our families, our friends, thank You. For daily sustenance, thank You. For daily protection, thank You. And Lord, we agree with the psalmist as he says, You are merciful. Your tender mercies and Your loving kindness, for they are from old. 
from the beginning of time, God, you have displayed your love, your attributes, your character to us. You are good. You are upright. And you alone are worthy to be praised. God, thank you for all that you do for us. May we never take it for granted. May we never, Lord, just turn our back on all the things that you've done for us. May we be appreciative. May our fondness of you, may our appreciation for you, may our love for you only increase as we acknowledge who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And one final theme I want to draw your attention to in Psalm 25, beginning with verse 9 and 10. The theme is this, who God works with. We see a pattern here of who God works with. Look at verses 9 and 10. The humble he guides in justice, and the humble he teaches his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to such as keep his covenant and testimonies. So there's something that he does to those that keep his covenant and testimonies. He keeps them on a path that is on mercy and truth. Look at verse 12. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him. That man who fears the Lord. Him shall he teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. And verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Who does God work with? Well, first of all, he works with the humble. If somebody is willing to humble themselves, he said, I will guide them. But God will not guide somebody who's not willing to humble themselves to his direction. He says, the humble I will guide. The humble I will guide in justice. The humble I will teach my way. Are you willing to humble yourself before the Lord so that he can guide you and teach you? That's who he works with. To such as keep his covenant and testimonies. You know what a covenant is? A covenant is a problem, a promise. God says, I'll keep my, com- uh, my promise. He goes, those that keep his covenant, his covenant, his testimonies, he goes, I'll work with them. He goes on to say, the man who fears the Lord, him shall he teach. Do you fear the Lord? Are you willing to say, God, I fear you. I respect you. I'm in awe of who you are. God says, I'll teach you. That's the one he works with. And then he says, and the descendants shall inherit the earth. I found in the last few years, that's a touchy issue in families. Inheritances. Especially when there are multiple siblings. Well, what am I going to get? Oh, what's so-and-so going to get? Well, that's not fair. They're going to get this or they're going to get that. Man, I've observed so much of that in the last several years. Here's the deal. He says those who are his descendants shall inherit the earth. The bottom line is this. One day as his children, we're going to inherit a ton. You know what that inheritance is? In heaven. A new heaven. A new earth. The joys of heaven. The, the relationship benefits of being able to spend all eternity with him. What an inheritance. That's something to look forward to. It says, his, and his descendants shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He will show them His covenant, God, His promise. Let's be faithful. 
And he goes on to say, verse 14, those who fear him will have his covenant, his promise. What an inheritance. I don't know about you, but we have so much to look forward to. Who does God work with? The humble. Those that keep his covenant and testimonies. Those that fear him. Those who are his descendants, part of his family. And those that keep his covenant, the promise. So there comes a point in our lives as his children, are we willing to submit and be humble before him and to fear him? He says, that's the person I want to work with. I don't know about you, but those of you that have worked in the world that we live in, you've all had co-workers that are not submissive at one point or another. And you see the destruction that it causes and the problems that it causes when someone else will not follow the rules. It causes more chaos. Even if you don't like the rules. Even if you don't like what, what they stand for. God says, I'm going to work with the humble. I'm going to work with those that fear me. I'm going to work with those that keep my covenant. I'm going to work with those who are my descendants. And that requires us to submit to him. Are you willing to do that? Let's take a moment and pray. And just ask God to work with us. To show himself strong with us. Let me just challenge you as we pray this final prayer. We're not going to have an invitation this morning. We've been praying our way through this text. We've been praying through this psalm. And I pray that as we do this one last time, that there may be some areas that God is wanting to work in your life with. There's so many themes here. Are you willing to submit to Him in all your troubles? Are you willing to handle, let Him handle the enemy, whatever it may be, whoever it may be? Are you willing to deal with the shame? Are you willing to get on God's way in His path? Are you willing to deal with all the sinfulness of our lives? Are we willing to Exalt His character, His attributes. And knowing that as we do, in our humility, and in our fear of Him, and in being part of His family, and keeping His covenant, He'll work with us. Let's pray.